It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. How are you, Lance? Couldn't be better. How are you today? I'm doing great. We have a, a really great interview with a wonderful woman named Marissa Jones. You may be familiar with the name. She does the Vanished podcast, very popular true crime podcast about missing people. It's such a great person to speak with. Such a good conversation, and I remember talking and looking down and realizing that 45 minutes had gone by and didn't even realize it. And afterward, it, she really leaves you with a sense of thinking about your place in this, uh, in what we do in this industry. She talks about how each one of the cases that she works on and when she works with the family and how, that, how she takes part of that with her how she takes part of that stress with her and how she takes part of that turmoil with her. So she really wears it on her sleeve, which leaves you with a, a sense of feeling for her and feeling for these families and, and these cases. I mean, we can really relate to what she goes through in a lot of ways because we do a, a, 
a podcast on a missing person. And so we have run into some of the same issues and things like that. So it really is fun and great to talk to a colleague like this in, in this field of podcasting and, you know, true crime media, which is essentially what we do, trying to shed some light on these cases that need uh, need some publicity. And it's not always about delivering this groundbreaking information or uncovering the new clue that's going to lead to something. We also sprinkle in episodes like this where it's more of a how-to of, of an approach. As a listener, as someone who does this for, for a living, how do you approach a case like this? How do you approach a cold case and as a listener, how do you approach the people doing this? And how do you approach the family? It's all got to be done very thoughtfully, Lance. Exactly. And this is this is after so many episodes, there's a lot of facets to what we decide to put out there to the public. And talk to an expert like Marissa, who is doing this as well. And it's not, again, it's not just about presenting the facts. It's about presenting an entire mindset of how to approach it. Okay, so we'll play the interview in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to let you know about something really interesting that we're doing over on Stitcher Premium. You can check out stitcher.com slash premium, subscribe, and what you'll get from Crawlspace Media, Lance, is... The, I've heard of them. Yeah, that's us. The back catalog of the podcast Crawlspace. You will get season two of Empty Frames that we're working on. And for the first time ever, I think, you will get what we're calling creator's commentary. And it's of the first 10 episodes of Missing Maura Murray. So the first 10 episodes came off of the public feed, and they are still available, but only on Stitcher Premium. And so when you subscribe, you will get those, but you will also get creator's commentary in addition. I can't stress enough how cool the creator commentary is, because... I personally don't know of any other show that's done that. There are so many episodes, and we've gone through such a such an arc with our journey here, especially with Moore's case. And if you go back and you listen to the early episodes, we often talk about how they're cringeworthy. This gives us an opportunity to go back to those early episodes, address what made us feel cringeworthy, more importantly, address things that were put out there that were not factual, but we kept in because it's part of the journey, and we comment over it, much like you'd see in a director's cut or a director's commentary of a movie. Yeah, and we've talked about and kind of wrestled with taking down some of these early episodes, so now they are kind of down from the public feed, but instead of losing them, throwing them in the trash forever, they're still there if you want to dive in, uh, and, but you get how we feel about them now, which is us three and a half years later. And how many times have we been asked, guys, what were you thinking when you said that? Like, what were you thinking when you kept calling Mora a girl and not a young woman? And you get to hear what we were thinking about our behavior and what we said way back then. We are pretty hard on ourselves, Lance. And you'll get some laughs when you listen to that, when you listen to us being critical of ourselves. But you'll also get corrections of facts and you'll also get what we know now in relation to what we are delivering back then. So it is, like I said, it's like a director's commentary over a movie. So we have 80 episodes right now that we'll be delivering to you, and you'll be getting them monthly starting this month in batches of 10. 
So you can listen to the full archive of Missing Maura Murray now on Stitcher Premium, completely ad-free and re-edited with new bonus commentary. So go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code MMM for a free month of listening. Okay, so we hope you enjoy the interview with Marissa Jones of The Vanished Podcast and subscribe to Stitcher Premium. I think you'll really like it. There's a lot of great stuff on there. There's a, a show that True Crime Garage does and a lot of great comedy albums. So check that out and follow us on Twitter at Maura Murray Doc. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you very much. We are being joined by Marissa Jones of The Vanished Podcast. How are you today, Marissa? I'm doing well. How about you guys? We're doing very well. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a it's been a while. We've been wanting to have you on for so long and we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this with us today. Speaking of your busy schedule, how did you find time to do this today? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I took some time. I, I planned out my holiday season ahead of time this year. The pa the past two holiday seasons, I overextended myself and didn't leave enough time uh, for, you know, just family stuff. So this year I said, all right, I'm going to go and get ahead. And so I set little goals for myself to uh, like a little a schedule for myself to, to work and and get ahead. So I got, actually got myself done. Um all my episodes for the remainder of the year and I just finished yesterday so I'm like for once in three years I actually got ahead so I'm wow. pretty happy I'm so jealous <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so so you said three years you've been doing the vanished for three years tell us about the journey of your podcast so I started the show in the beginning of 2016 and I just had this at the time I was working as a paralegal and my work, I was kind of getting pushed into, I would say, more boring work. That, and I felt like I, I really enjoyed the research that I, I would do at work. Um, and so I started putting a little bit of that into looking into some missing persons cases. And I noticed that as far as podcast go or were at the time if you're looking back to uh beginning of 2016 there wasn't much out there as far as covering missing persons that aren't well-known cases so uh i kept i kept finding these cases that i thought were interesting but nobody was covering so uh i actually asked some of the shows that were existing at the time to cover them and nobody seemed very interested so one day i was like i'll just do this myself. I had no clue what I was doing. Um, I know you, you guys have background in, in producing things and I have a legal background. So I, I start, when I started the show, it, you know, I was learning, learning as I went along, but, um, so I, I'm kind of a self-taught kind of person as far as the audio end of things goes, but that's really impressive because there's a lot that goes into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I started kind of just researching stuff and then creating episodes. But then I was like, okay, now I see why people don't cover these cases because there's not enough information out there. You actually have to go and talk to people. And that's when my show took a 
sharp turn, I think, in the direction that it has been for a very long time, where I, I talk to people. And as time goes on, I've been trying to do more, uh, especially with older cases where I have the opportunity, uh, I try to track down as much as I can by doing like Freedom of Information Act requests and really trying to bring something new uh, to the public, a story they haven't heard, information that, that hasn't been released. And so that's kind of where, you know, my show evolved from. And, and now uh, a, a lot of a lot of my episodes will have a, a single interview, but what I'm trying to do now is get more people. So an episode might have four people in it, and I think that that brings a, a more well-rounded view of a case. You know, if you can get a, a family member, a friend, and a police officer, you know, that kind of thing, or an expert, depending on the situation. Wow. So yeah, this is a very time-consuming job uh, for you. It, this is obviously your full-time job. Right. Uh, at the beginning of, oh, I would say, I think it was March 2017, I was able to, because of advertising, I was able to leave my job. And I felt like in the lead up to that, that the work that I was doing was helping people more than the work I was doing at my job. And I would spend my time at work thinking about like, oh, I have to do this and I'm interviewing this person tonight. And I and I just felt like this was pulling me. This is what I wanted to do. And so I, it was scary leaving my job because you know how it is. You, you never know when the bottom's going to fall out on something. But uh, I'm glad that I did because I think that it's enabled me to improve the show you can only do that, you know, coming home from work and then working till two in the morning for so long. Yeah. You just said uh, your current or your previous job wasn't as helpful as what you're doing now with the podcasting. What does that what does that mean? How how do, when did you realize that what you do now was more helpful than working as a paralegal? The work that I was doing, it was important work. Uh, a lot of what I was doing was helping people through really rough times in their life, you know, whether whether they were going through a divorce or bankruptcy, that kind of thing. But and you were helping people through this this rough period. And I was always the go to person because the attorney is always busy in and out of court. So I was the person that they would call upset because this happened or that happened. But when you have people who have someone that's missing and they're not gaining any traction with getting their story out there. The news isn't picking up on it, nothing. And giving them a space, a voice, is so meaningful to them that um, all of a sudden that nobody's been listening to them. It could be months, years, who knows. And then all of a sudden they have this support. They have support from listeners and and they have an outlet where they can say, hey, this is my story. If you want to listen to it, here's a link. And anybody can listen to it anywhere for free. So it gives it gives people um, a voice, really. And, it, and it's something that's always available and, and accessible to anybody with an Internet connection. So um, even if you even if you, you know, it's not like I go out and solve crimes every week. Right. But you're you're helping someone. And when you hear from people week to week that they're so thankful for this thing that you spend a lot of time creating for them that 
to me was very meaningful. And that's something that I, I felt was more meaningful than what I was doing at my job. That's great to hear. I can, I can see it. Um, now you also have a pretty good, uh, social media following. Um, how, what's that like? Do, do you, do you do something different on social media than you do on the podcast or how do the, how do your N- Facebook groups? Not work? really. Uh, I have a really big group on Facebook it has about 20,000 people in it. And it seems as though people like to go and talk about the cases. And a lot of the families are also in the group. And so it gives people a place to go and say like, Oh, I was listening and I had this question and they can kind of, uh, interact with these people it's not like you just watched a program on television and you have 20 questions about it and you just go to google and try to see if there's more information uh the, a lot of times the people are right there to answer their questions and i think that is a draw for people but um also a lot of the people who listen to my show are just very supportive and they they might not have a question but they want to say you know, I just want you to know that your story really touched me. And, and I think that, that, that means a lot to people in itself, just to hear that, that somebody listened and, and it meant something to them. When that first started happening for you, was it a surprise that people were reaching out to you directly? And how did you handle that? Well, it was, it was interesting because I started getting, Um, you know, I think at first it was just your normal amount of people coming in, but when you see people just reaching out to support others, that's like a a wonderful thing. I I think so much of what we see on social media today is ugliness and, uh, people just throwing out flippant comments without a thought of who's going to see it or be affected by it. But one of my favorite words, by the way, I got to use that flippant. So good. (laughs) Sorry to interrupt. No, no problem. But I think that that seeing a community of mindful people who just want to help or be supportive is a reminder that there's a lot of wonderful people in this world. And so for every crappy thing that somebody says to you, it's a reminder like, you know, don't don't focus on that. Focus on this. Yeah. Put, putting something positive into this world and, and keeping that going. Yeah, you are putting something positive out there. You, like you said, families want this coverage. Your audience obviously wants it. Uh, you're doing something good. This is great. Now, uh, you mentioned kind of some backlash or criticism. I noticed that you do post about that sometimes on social media. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I've had it. Co- I've had a f- come at people come at me for uh, you know several different ways, and one of the things that I've gotten is saying that you cover too many people who have an addiction issue or um, somebody recently said you cover too many people, too many cases that are likely suicides and that stuff really, I mean, a lot of my cases before I actually talk to people, I have no idea that there's an addiction issue involved because there's nothing or hardly anything on the internet except for a little bit of a rundown on, you know, so-and-so was last seen here. If you have any information, call this agency. So, you know, if if you're going to cover somebody, a lot of times you're going to uncover things that aren't like a pretty little story that's all wrapped up in a bow. And 
obviously, you know this with Mara Murray, right? You you start digging into her story and, and you know, she isn't just this, um, you know, perfect college student runner kind of thing. I mean, there's darkness to her story that uh, comes to light. And I feel like if you're going to try to put somebody's story out there, if you, it's dishonest to withhold information if you find it. And also I think withholding that information doesn't get you any closer to finding the truth. So you know, a lot of times these things that people uh, don't like are things that are risk factors for going missing or becoming the victim of a crime. And you're going to see more cases like that than the ones that it's just um, some perfect person with no issues in their past getting kidnapped off the street ca- a street corner. So, you know, it's re- the reality of missing person's cases so other times i've had some and i'm i'm sure you guys can relate to this strange interactions with uh internet sleuths nah, who never happened once this is news to us <laughs> yeah yeah um who kind of act like they own a case or you shouldn't be speaking on it it's theirs they've been investigate you know let's like air quotes this you know investigating this for years or whatnot and and they they seem to like have a claim on it and um it's an odd thing to me to see that and and other times it's it's people who kind of butt in and then act like they're helping and then they turn on the the families and they start saying nasty things about them all over the place. And, and I'm like, how is this, how does this even happen? Who has time to do this to people, you know, setting up a website to basically slander a family of a missing person. It's, it's nuts. So, um, I've seen all kinds of, of things and, uh, I do, it does get frustrating at times, but you know, the more people that listen, the greater chance you're going to have a, a run in with with this kind of thing and it just happens and uh, it's going to continue to happen. We can forward you a great uh, paper that was written by Professor uh, Elizabeth Yardley and David Wilson. They're in the UK and we had them on as a guest on, uh, on crawl space where they talked about this thing called the wound culture, W O U N D wound culture. And it's exactly, you just, you defined it and you didn't even realize you did. It's when these people interject themselves in with the family. And then once the family recognizes that they're more destructive than, than they, than they, you know, originally thought or thought at all. And they try to distance themselves. Then these people start to badmouth the family. They start to, like you said, they create, uh, websites or they'll they'll create different monikers and they'll go on Reddit and they'll argue with themselves just to discredit the family. It's a really uh, sad and uh, morbidly fascinating phenomenon when you're when you're doing something like this. Yeah, and and it's um, I've seen it where uh, this one woman was posting the the these people. She was posting their address, a picture of their house, the uh, the name and address of the this family, they have a child who's a minor of her school. And I'm like, what, 
it, wh- who who thinks this is okay? And so, I mean, I, I see it and, and I just go, I just, I don't know. I feel horrible because some people can fight these fight these people to get like a website taken down and other people don't have the resources to do so. And it's just a level of harassment that people who are already going through something terrible don't need. Right. Right. They don't have the resources or, or the energy. Think about these people who are like looking for their loved one. They've been fighting that fight for however long, and then they have to fight this other thing. And it's, it's easier to just say like, I'm not going to do that. But, and that's Mm -hmm. unfortunate. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you bring up a good point, Marissa, um, that, you know, we obviously do the podcast Missing Maura Murray. And, uh, you know, if you ever covered Maura Murray's case on your show, we would uh, start a start a Web page slandering your podcast. (laughs) Don't you dare. (laughs) So. So stay out of our uh, our space. No, I'm actually uh, completely kidding. We we welcome uh, more coverage and love. Uh, when people cover Mora's case. So if you ever wanted to do that, we would uh, welcome that, and we'd even come on to uh, to talk about it if you want to. Um, but let's talk about Mora's case, because uh, you're, you're uh, a missing persons expert in, in this field. So what do you think about... Uh, yeah, where where do you want to start with Mora's case? Well, it's it's kind of funny in a way. I get... Not so much anymore, but I would say maybe for the first two years or so, I got a lot of, I have a case submission form on my website and I got a lot of case submissions that read a a lot like, have you ever heard of Maura Murray? You know, of course, yes, I I definitely have. But, uh, you know, I had followed her case. I remember watching it years ago on Disappeared. I had listened to your show and, you know... I think before, I think when I speak about it now, I have a different perspective than I would have, say, three or four years ago, where I think that I used to look at things from a perspective of, you know, this is suspicious or that is suspicious. And, you know, you kind of look for the most uh, creepy scenario or the most... uh, scary scenario that that could happen but after doing this for a few years and seeing come some cases come to uh, a resolution and a lot of times the resolution is a lot less uh creepy or scary than than what you expected or uh you know after spending a lot of time looking at statistics about uh, stranger abduction, that kind of thing, and how rare that actually is. I think that, you know, several years ago, I may have said to you, oh, I think she was abducted and murdered. But I think now I I kind of lean more towards, you know, this is a, a young woman who had a lot of things not going right for her and a lot of those things were because of choices that she made and you know things her relationship wasn't perfect her uh you know she had crashed her dad's car she had now just crashed another car and i could see somebody in her situation 
being afraid of getting a DUI and running off and whether, you know, she succumbed to the elements or whether she did get into a car with somebody or whatnot. You know, it's, uh, I don't really, I don't really subscribe to these theories so much about, you know, somebody, the, you know, tandem car thing and that, that kind of thing. I, I don't think that this was a really long-term planned out thing. I think that she was kind of just a young person being, uh, what's the word, you know, uh, impulsive. Yes. Impulsive. Thank you. And that's, that's kind of how I look at it now. Uh, you know, I wonder if we'll ever know the the answer as to what happened to her. Do you guys feel like at this point you've covered her case? You've been following it for so long. Do you feel like there will be a resolution? I think that there will be a resolution. My feelings change pretty much daily on how that's going to happen and how long it'll take. I feel like I I don't feel like when we get an answer, it's going to be a complete answer. I think it's going to be a really partial answer. And you can think about that in, in many ways. Maybe something of hers is found and that just leads to what, why is it there and where did it come from and how long it's been there. Or it could be someone on their deathbed confessing to something and then they die and then you don't have anything else beyond that one 30-second deathbed confession. Uh, unfortunately, I think that that is how we're going to get the first concrete answer. It's not going to be gift wrapped to us, no matter how hard we work on it. Unfortunately, yeah, Doug, yeah. police work uh, leads. Um, the, I mean, this case is out there pretty good. This case has has leads and tips that come in regularly, so that needs to continue. Eventually, this could lead to a resolution. But yeah, we're definitely hopeful. Yeah, and I I feel like a lot of times, and you know, not just with her case, but with a lot of cases where you have somebody who goes missing, and there's this whole, uh, you know, could they have wandered into the woods situation? You go, well, how how have they not been found, and how has their belongings that we know were with them, their clothing, a backpack, etc., how is has that not been found? And um, I have seen some cases where there were searches and searches done for people and the person ends up being found either where they had already searched or like right next to where they had already searched, like very close proximity to where they had already looked. And you go, how does that happen? Uh, And I I can't fully explain it. Oh, it's because it's because the murderers bring the body back after storing them for several years or an amount of time. And then they bring them back and put them there and cover them with leaves. And then they're found. Yeah, well, that's I have heard that I have heard those kinds of things too, and I think people always rush to that kind of. There has to be a suspicious element to that too. Yeah, no, I'm I'm actually being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, I no, know. <laughs> no, I I uh, just want to be clear, but yeah, mm-hmm. that uh, that is that is something that we've heard as well, and um, I don't really know how that happens either, but I guess it's 
it, it is it has to be accepted by us and the community as something that does happen. I think you got to look at the time frame for all of that as well, and the time not only the time frame between when this person disappeared to when they were found, or uh, uh, an article of clothing was found, or their remains were found. You have to look at the time period between those two occurrences, and you also have to look at the the time period in the sense of what year did it take place in. With Moore's case, it's been almost fifteen years, and there's been so many searches in that area we've been there and we've we've done gpr cadaver dogs and digging right around that the area of the crash and with the podcast and with what you do with with the vanished i mean there's so much out there for people to gravitate to and do their own searches like we've seen with boots on the ground so (laughs) i'm sure in the in the in the 90s or the early 2000s when podcasting wasn't a thing and crowdsourced information wasn't really a thing you couldn't have someone doing their own independent and responsible search and and find somebody or or an article of clothing that was right there i will say that in the past few years since we've started working with different members of law enforcement both current members of law enforcement and retired we've seen we've seen many people who are completely unaffiliated with Moore's disappearance, forwarding photos of something that they might have found up in the area that's articles of clothing, and and that gets forwarded to the cold case unit, and they follow up on that. So in the meantime, there have there have been things that have been found in that area, whether people have been searching for it or not, and still none of it has to do with Mora. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of those things. I, I think a lot of times when you look at a case, you're, you go, oh, well, they did have dogs come out. They did search there, but... I think that that doesn't just because that happened, we've seen it happen before and people have been found or something's been found. And I think that, you know, no search effort is a hundred percent accurate. You know, uh, the dogs aren't necessarily a hundred percent accurate all the time, that kind of thing. And I think we put a lot of weight into those things and it can just so happen that that something was missed. I mean, you, you look at, the woods you've got leaves you know, piles and piles of leaves and stuff and things can can go you know uncovered so yeah for sure and we've even found out even in the past few months working with the cadaver dogs and working with uh the cold case unit that c- cadaver dogs it, it, nothing is as Conclusive. straightforward yeah. and and cut and dry as everyone and including ourselves were led to believe if a cadaver dog doesn't hit on a certain area, that doesn't mean that you just like completely check that off the list. It means you go back there when the weather conditions might be a little bit different and try again. Never, ne- never just say, well, the dog didn't hit and you move away. You know, you, you mm-hmm. go, you can go back as long as you have permission to go on the property and the owners of the property don't mind keep going back and checking these things out because, because of what you're talking about, because sometimes it was right there under your nose, but some condition prevented you from seeing it. Um, right. Also the, the information just be what we've learned as well. And I don't know if it's the same for you. You, have, you need to take everything with a grain of salt. We had heard in the A-frame house that the, the cadaver dogs went bonkers in one of the closets. And only after working with cadaver dogs directly did we realize that going bonkers isn't a thing. If a cadaver dog has a hit, they sit down and they do the opposite of going bonkers. They, they sit down and they don't do anything. So right. for years, 
people had and including us had been going on this thing where the the a-frame where the cadaver dogs went bonkers well if they went bonkers it that was must pro- mean there was a dead body in there right but in reality they probably went bonkers because they caught a scent of like a rabbit in the area or something yeah who knows yeah Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Yeah, and and I also, and this is kind of strange, but uh, somebody had contacted me and was telling me one time that they spoke to Maura Murray in Canada, and I was like, okay, what, what, you know, I haven't covered her case, you know, there's probably other people that you you should tell this information to, that kind of thing, and it it kind of strikes you know, struck me at the time as one of these people who, I mean, how, how do you even, first of all, how do you know, you spoke to someone in Canada, how do you know for sure it was her? And second of all, um, you know, why, why did she call you? That kind of thing. It was just a weird circumstance for me. Uh, I was totally thrown by the whole thing. And, uh, and I'm sure you guys get that kind of thing all the time. Yeah, yeah. We, now I'm curious about that that email. Was it like a recent sighting, or was it a, like a convoluted thing? Like, oh, I'm I I saw her three years ago, and I'm reaching out now because I noticed your podcast or something like that. Well, I could probably find it for you and and forward it to you, but it was a while ago. Yeah. It was I want to say it was probably at the end of around the end of 2016, because the person had an interest in another case that I covered and he said that he had been looking into that case, Mara's case and Brianna's case. And he was making ties in between the three that seemed not very strong, yeah. but I was, but then, and then he said, but, but I, I talked to her in Canada. So I was like, Whoa, what is this? But to me, I, at the end of the day, I was like, I don't know who this person is. And it's one of those situations where they seem very focused on Mora, but this other case that I had covered was just kind of like a this person went missing a kind of around the same time, kind of in the same region, closer to Brianna. But it was just a weird thing. And I know that there had been a lot of speculation on whether or not she went and started a new life in Canada. But it's um, one of those things, like, to me, if if somebody went and started a new life in Canada, I mean, she had stuff going on in her life that was less than ideal. But as far as I know, it wasn't anything to just completely walk away from. But that is always a thing, and it happens, and I've seen it happen with some cases I've covered, but it's typically usually men who do that, not as often women. And when women do it, they're usually fleeing an abuser. So, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it was just a weird, 
weird interaction that I had. And I, but I, I assume that you guys get that stuff too. Yeah, we definitely get stuff like that. Um, and you can usually kind of like you, you sounded like you did. You can kind of deduce, uh, where the person's coming from or where that, what they want out of this. Um, or, you know, maybe it sounds promising and then that's something to forward to the cold case unit because, uh, that is definitely something we take seriously. If someone says they spoke to someone or if they know something, that's definitely Mm -hmm. something we take seriously and forward along. Um, but, uh, if the person is saying they spoke to Maura Murray and they're making connections between Brianna's disappearance and this other disappearance, which I want to ask you about, I think I know who it might be. Um, you know, that those three cases likely probably have no connection or if they Mm -hmm. do only two of them do, if he, if he talked to Maura Murray, so that doesn't, you know what I mean? This has red flags there. Who, who is this other, uh, missing person, uh, that you were talking about? It's, uh, Donnie. That I covered him back in the fall of 2016, Donnie Messier. Yep. And he went went missing. His truck's never been found. Yep. Yeah, that is a somewhat similar uh, scenario. I remember listening to that episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, what do you think? Do you think that one is in any way connected to uh, Brianna's, perhaps? No, I don't. I don't think they're connected at all. I think all three of them are probably their own separate circumstances. Yeah, of course, I'm talking about Brianna Maitland. Just want to uh, uh, be clear there. She was 17 when she disappeared from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th, 2004, about six weeks and 80 miles away from where and when Mora went missing. Do you have any cases that are like that uh, as well, as far as could be so close in time frame and proximity that you have to look at it and say, are, are these two related? And how do you, how do you uh, approach that? Do you know what I mean? I do have some. Uh, I have one that I've been working on for a really long time that I haven't, that hasn't been published yet because I'm still not done. I kind of have a, a juggling system where I have cases that have a different amount of research that are, that is required that I want to do. And and people I want to track down and talk to. So I, I have covered some that it's questionable as to whether or not that it's related to somebody else. But I do have one that I've been working on for a very long time that it's two men who went missing uh, within a, a short period of time. And there appears to be a connection between the two of them. And so what I've been doing is... uh working on an episode about both of them interviewing both of their families. I was able to get both of their case files. Uh, and that's what makes it so complicated because it, it's also related to another shooting and then also related to a separate murder. And so it's this big twisted web of, of uh, cases and trying to pick apart who's involved in this one and who's involved in that one and and are they connected it's 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 a lot to go through and then uh there was another one that i covered two women together in an episode they actually disappeared 10 years apart but they had the same abusive boyfriend and they're both missing and uh he's been arrested for kidnapping the second one but they haven't been able to find either of them and uh get him or to get him to to confess to anything so 
that one, the, the tie between those two is a little bit more direct, right? It's not a, a serial killer uh, stranger situation. It's a, a a known abuser situation that this these two women had dated the same guy. So now, uh, you mentioned that some of the cases that you've covered have had outcomes since you've covered them. What what are the percentages of of those outcomes? Like how many of them are are found human remains near where they went missing? How many of them turned out to be missing persons on the run? How many of them turned out to be murder victims? Well, I'd have to do calculations. No, I need but... an immediate, Marissa. <laughs> yeah. I have uh one of the problems is that when when remains have been found that uh, a lot of times they've been in the elements for so long that they can't determine a cause of death. So we don't know if they were a murder victim. We don't know if if they may have, uh, you know, have overdosed on something or, or, you know, all these different scenarios that could happen, right? So uh, it's the shame of it is when that happens that question of did someone murder my loved one still haunts the families like it they found them but they just don't have 100% closure so uh that that is one outcome uh i've had a few that they believe were uh the person took their own life but again they can't say for certain because the person's remains were so far decomposed um well, I'll tell you, this kind of goes back to the question you asked me about, where about the connection between multiple cases. I covered, back in 2016, I covered these two teen uh, boys who went missing three weeks apart. And they were, you know, initially the police were saying they were runaways. And then the parents were saying there's no, there was no reason for them to run away. They wouldn't do that. And, well, first... The first boy goes missing and he's, they're saying he's a runaway. But then the second one goes missing three weeks later. And that's kind of weird. They're friends. And three weeks later, you you think of kids running away together. They leave together. They don't leave three weeks apart. And so I covered this. I did an episode once in 2016, once in 2017. And then this past summer, 2018, is when uh, they announced that they were arresting people. And it it was four men had uh, allegedly murdered these two teenage boys and separately, three weeks apart. And so they were connected, as the parents had, had thought initially, and they had not run away. And currently, as it stands, the boys are still missing, uh, one, the one guy did uh, did plea out, and then another one was just he just went to trial and he was found guilty, and the other two are pending. One was a juvenile at the time, and so they're trying to move his case out of juvenile court. Uh, he was seventeen, I believe, and then uh, the other one he is fighting uh, on. Uh, his competency because apparently he's has a uh, high functioning autism and 
they're saying that he's not competent to stand trial. So there's a whole battle going on between is he or isn't he. Uh, so that's kind of where it stands now. But that was one where where initially we thought it was there was a connection and it did turn out to be to be a connection. And that one is re- kind of resolved. But for the families to have them still missing is very difficult. Yeah, that sounds like a frustrating situation. And it also shows that you can't just immediately dismiss two cases being unrelated. Like It just goes to show the investigative process has to be open the entire time for all possibilities. Yeah, and a lot of it, I believe, was um, initially... So, so the the two the two boys were classmates, but uh, their 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 cases fell into two different jurisdictions, and there wasn't a whole lot of cooperation between the two initially. And so, I think that was a frustration. Like neither of them wanted any more than just their one case, right? They by putting them together, it was complicating the whole situation, but. Uh, it ended up being that that they were connected and and like you said it, it, unfortunately it, it's it's unfortunate that they didn't take the first disappearance very serious seriously to start because uh in that 3 weeks time if they had been able to really dig into the uh, that boy's uh, social media messages and stuff they would have they would have known who he went with the night that he disappeared and those are the same people who killed his friend three weeks later so you know it kind of goes when when you see people get labeled as a runaway uh a lot of time can get wasted that's an interesting point you make and it's similar to what we hear a lot with moore's case and i'm curious to get your opinion on this as a law enforcement officer as a police officer who finds an abandoned car with clear evidence of someone drinking and possibly drinking and driving no person there and and you have the situation where an adolescent young man actually a boy is gone and the first instinct is to say he ran away like like so many other kids his age run away and with our case it's well someone wanted to avoid a uh, a DUI so she ran she ran from her car and she'll show up later on what is your opinion on what law enforcement should do immediately cuz i know that people out there say these cases like yours and like more is the law enforcement it was just botched from the beginning but if you put yourself back to that time period are you supposed to be do you want to be known as an alarmist do you want to be known as the guy or 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 female do you want to be known as the officer who will always go to the worst case scenario and call out all the troops when it's probably statistically just someone who ran away? And and does that hurt your credibility? Yeah, and I do. I mean, I can see with Mara's case, I can see that situation where you're responding to a car and, you know, there's clearly an alcohol situation going on and inside and I could see, I mean, because you, you actually see this, in the, and I read this in my local newspaper, where there will be a crash and the person flees on foot because they're trying to avoid a DUI. And I think people in those situations, obviously, they're impaired and they're not making the best decisions. 
uh, you know, if they're drinking and driving or driving after drinking. And, and so it's easy to assume, okay, this person's just like took off to somebody's house and they're hiding out and, you know, we'll catch up with them later. We'll tow this car and, you know, the person's going to come look for it eventually. Right. I don't think that any officer responding to a situation like Mara's, like what they responded to when she, when her car was initially found, I don't think that most officers will jump to, like, this is going to be the most infamous missing persons case, and it's going to go unsolved for all these years. I just don't think that that's what most people think, because I'm sure that, that officers run into this scenario all the time and and it doesn't end like that so you know I do think a lot of times there is a, a lot of blame but it, you know how many cases do they see of somebody just leaving the scene or how many cases do they see of kids running away and turning up you know a week later because they're mad at their parents for taking away their cell phone or you know anything like that it's tough it's a tough it's tough to predict which ones are going to be the ones that the resources should have been put into it's easy to say in hindsight do you ever find yourself defending law enforcement or defending that point of view from people who listen to your show yeah, sometimes I do. Uh, sometimes, just for instance, uh, I covered a case a few weeks back, uh, Caitlin Akins. I don't know if, if you're familiar with her, but she disappeared from Virginia a few years ago. And um, she, the police, and we even t- talked to them for the show, The her detective was on the show, and her case is one where it's pretty obvious who was most likely responsible and the police officer the detective spoke about this in the episode she said you know he's really just gone into turtle mode is what she said he won't talk to anybody uh he won't talk to the family he won't talk to law enforcement and he shut everybody out and so at this point what they're trying to do is find some evidence to help push the case forward but you know, as far as this guy goes, he's just built a wall of prote- protection around himself. And some people are sent, commented that that they haven't done everything they should they should or could do. And I was thinking, but they they re- they really have done a lot. I mean, they did search warrants. They they did everything they could do. They what they haven't done is they they can't force him to talk you know you can't make somebody come in and talk if they go and they get a lawyer and the lawyer says don't talk to the police well what else can they do about that so I think there there can be some misconceptions about um law enforcement and you know making people talk or making people uh take polygraphs that kind of thing uh at some point you know we have these things built into our laws to protect innocent people, but uh, sometimes guilty people can hide behind them as well. So, uh, you know, not every case is perfect. And a lot of times, especially with older cases, you could have a detective on it now who's really great, but they'll tell you, you know, there were some mistakes made in, in the beginning, 
but we're trying to do everything we can today to 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 figure out what happened so uh i think that there is there are certain misunderstandings and things out there that people think that the police can just like get into somebody's iphone and and figure out what's going on and that's easier said than done yeah absolutely and we we we've experienced the same thing where we hear people say well they got to do this and they got to do that and it's not that it's not that easy police like you said police just can't go up to john q public and say the the online community is demanding that i look at your cell phone records from 10 years ago it's just not we don't live in that world like you said we have laws that protect people right yeah i mean it's it's one of those things where, uh, on one hand, you look at all these unsolved cases and you look at what these people are going through. But then you, on the other hand, you look at people who, uh, today, I think we have an increased awareness about wrongful convictions and we're seeing people get their uh, convictions overturned because of new DNA evidence. And you go, okay, well, that is, I mean, just putting somebody behind bars doesn't necessarily mean that you've solved a case and and it's just as much of a tragedy to put somebody who's innocent behind bars right so uh you you have to be careful about jumping to conclusions and law enforcement really has to uh make sure well, you know a lot of times it's not even law enforcement it's the DA's office who doesn't want to take a no body case so where you have, you can have the detectives who are like this. We know this is who did it. It's just that the district district attorney's office doesn't want to prosecute on a no body case. So, I mean, there's they're limited in in very you know all different ways. So, yeah, totally. Um, what about Brianna Maitland's case? Uh, what are your thoughts on her disappearance? Well, I definitely don't think that her disappearance was connected to Mara. Uh, I do, I, her case is one that, like, when you look, like, the visual, the picture of how her, her car was found does really give you the creeps. It's one that is unsettling, um, but I, I do feel like her case is very much centered on, around the people she was, the people who were in her life at that time. And I don't know, I mean, I've read all different theories on her case, but I just feel like her case, the, if they could figure it out, it'll be with within the circle of people that she knew and that she had been hanging out with. That's where the answers lie. I feel like Mara's case is a little different in that, you know, she was, she was not at home, right, where she goes missing. And, and so you have, it's more of a, a wider mystery like it could be somebody who lived out here it could have been someone driving through the area it could be related to no one out here you know so you have all these other questions i think i think her case is has always just uh brianna's case is always just it's 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 mysterious but i i feel like it it's, it has connections with the people she was hanging out with that whole story about her acting weird in the store beforehand and everything all of that i just feel like there's a connection there they just haven't been able to find it and 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 i also feel like in her case 
you're talking about like a small town area and a lot of times people don't want to talk about what they might know or what they've heard and that it's just they may be in fear of whoever harmed Brianna. Yeah, or they might be in fear of saying something that isn't true and it's just based on their own bias towards a certain person and Mm -hmm. then it just turns into a situation where they've wrongfully accused somebody in a small town and there's hardly any law enforcement in the area right you did say something about uh which made me think of this question um you said that mora wasn't at home when it happened she wasn't in her hometown when it happened how much stock do you put into the things that happened in Mora's life before she went on this trip up north. Because Tim and I have this reoccurring um, moment where Tim will compare something that he did when he was 21 or didn't do when he was 21 to what Mora may maybe have done when she was 21 or not done at 21. When you were 21 as a, as a young woman, which was probably like three or four years ago. Months ago. Yeah. Months ago. Um, <laughs> what, what? How much stock do you put into the the things that happened in Maura's life which led her to get in her car and drive north? Well, I do feel like when you're that age-ish and younger, a lot of times things can feel like they're the end of the world when they're not the end of the world. And I do think that, you know, you see kind of a buildup of issues or a snowballing of issues within her life where things aren't going well. And I do feel like, I know people have thrown out the possibility that she went up there to end her life or something. And while that's a possibility, we don't know. I just, it kind of struck me as she was really under stress uh, of multiple different things going on in her life that, that weren't going perfectly. And She just needed to get away. And that's how I took that to be. Um, But I could be wrong. But I do feel like she, you know, when you're you're a kid, and and I, I do feel like when you're 21, depending on who you are in your life circumstances, you, you're, you're transitioning from, from being, from seeing your parents as like, oh, I don't want to get in trouble with my mom or my dad to being, you know, well, I'm, I, I'll deal with my own problems kind of situation. So, you know, if at 21, I was very independent. I was had my own apartment. Uh, I hadn't lived at home since I was 18. If I crashed my car, it would have been on me. I would have been on, you know, my insurance uh, I was paying for my own cell phone bill. It wasn't attached to my boyfriend or something. So I I feel like I was very independent and, and getting into a car accident or any of these things wouldn't have been, it would have been on me to deal with. But I feel like Mara was in a place where she was still a little bit more dependent on her dad. And when you're in that place and you keep like screwing stuff up over and over, it can be like you have that feeling of letting down your parents. And I do feel like that's a thing for her or could have been a thing for hers. You know, I let, I let him down with, with this and then this and then this, and then, you know, my boyfriend's cheating on me and all this stuff. It just, it just, I could see that being a, a, you know, a a mountain of stress for somebody who's 21 years old. Yep. 
One of the uh, one of the last questions I ha- have here is one of the most common questions we get, and uh, you mm-hmm. probably know the answer now, having uh, gone through the uh, the pre-interview process with us, um, that we kind of deal with uh, these heavy subject matters with a bit of humor. How do you deal with these heavy subject matters? Uh, so for me, what I do is uh, usually after I have a real stressful interview, I'll just take a break and. Uh, go spend some time with my kids, uh, my little guys home during the day. My uh, my two older kids are in, in school. So, uh, but my little guy's here most of the time. I, I sent him out to go Christmas shopping <laughs> during this, but he's usually here. He's uh, 17 months old. So it's a real, like if I can get up and go out of my office and go eat lunch with him or something, it really helps, uh, you know, bring my spirits up, I guess you could say. But one thing that I do is I don't schedule uh, more than one interview in a day for, you know, talking to families and stuff because it's just a little bit too draining for me. Um, Sometimes uh, one thing that helps me is to uh, play, turn on some music, that kind of thing, or even just go watch something funny on YouTube just to kind of take your mind out. But um, I'm one of those people that, I mean, like if, if you listen to my show, it's there's almost always a very deep emotional element to it uh, that, but I kind of live in that emotional space where I, I, I always think from that place, right? So when I'm looking at something, like I always am looking at it from how, how this must feel for this person, right? It's this, as a mom or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so I kind of live there and I, for me that, that, that's like an easy, like I can put myself in, in somebody's shoes and, and, and try to imagine how they're feeling. And, it, and, uh, somebody once told me that he said, this is somebody that I covered their story. He said, you take a little bit of everybody's grief with you along the way. And that you, you have to also take care of yourself. So, and I feel like that's very, very true in a way. And so one thing that I also do is when I take time off, I find it very hard not to work all the time because my office is in my house. So when I take time off, I go on a little trip and then I completely disconnect myself from working and just focus on, you know, whatever my family and doing whatever. And that is really helpful to me. Uh, because I'm always, when I'm at home, if I'm not at my desk working, I feel like I'm, I should be. So those are kind of little things that I do. Uh, like after Christmas, I'm going on a trip to Florida. So for a few days, and that will be, I'm not working at all situation. That's uh, that's really interesting that you said that about taking little pieces of the the emotion with you. And in order to get away from it, you need to physically get away from where you do your work, which must be a bit of a challenge because what you work on can sometimes unfold in real time. And I'm sure there's part of you, I I hope there is, I hope I'm not putting this in your head now, but I'm sure there's part of you that will see your time away and and it must sort of itch at you a bit to, to think like, well, are things happening and I'm not I'm not there to see them happen or I'm not there to 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 
to be a part of it. Does that ever concern you when you take time off? Um, well, you know, I'll tell you about a, a circumstance I had. Um, it was last year and we went away for a weekend. It was just a short little trip. Um, I live in Pennsylvania, so we just went on this short little trip to the center of the state. It's pretty remote and, and beautiful out there. And, uh, while I was away, I found out that one of the people I had just covered maybe a few weeks to a month prior, uh, was found deceased. And I just, when I, I, I looked at my phone and I saw it and I, my, you just don't expect it. It always blindsides you when this happens. Um, uh, you're never expecting somebody to be found, right? You have all these cases that go on what seemingly forever. And so when you, when somebody's found, there's never a warning, right? There's, you never see it coming. It just happens. And, it can hit you in at the most random time, but it's always like, on one hand, you're like, oh, well, I'm glad they were found. But on the other hand, it's like, well, this is a really sad outcome. And there was that little bit of hope that the person was still out there alive. And now that little bit of hope is gone. So, um, you know, that's, that's always hard in it. And I always have my phone with me, even though I say I disconnect. But, you know, you look down and you have some Facebook notification and it's just right. It's just right there. So uh, it does happen. And, you know, like there is another one I covered around the same time. And uh, the, the guy was found buried in the backyard of the house he was last seen at. And I had a uh, I had a everybody had a suspicion that that this gentleman did not leave this house that he was last seen at. And so it shouldn't have been a big surprise. It was what everybody expected, but I don't think that anybody expected him to be found buried in the backyard of this house. I think they expected him to be dumped somewhere or something, but it just, you just don't expect it. Like if somebody called you tomorrow and said, Oh, we, we found Maura Murray, you would probably fall off your chair. I mean, it's just, you don't expect it to, to happen when it just, it's shocking when it does. Yeah, we definitely have daydreams about that moment. Yeah, I wouldn't even... <laughs> kind of need to pad the floor because, yeah, I would fall off the chair. Yeah, you you would. You would be... Because then... And then you'd be like, but where? You know, what are all the circumstances? And sometimes it's not immediately clear. But um, when you... Especially when you have a case that's gone on for as long as her case has. But it's pretty... Uh, it's... It's always and when you least expect it that's that something like that happens, but it is hard, and uh just trying to take time to take care of yourself is important because you know if if you're doing something with the end goal of helping people, but you burn yourself to the ground doing it, you can't help as many people as if you take care of yourself along the way. Yeah. yeah, that's as as much as the responsibility is to the case you're working on, you have an equal amount of responsibility to yourself to maintain your health and and mental well-being in order to pursue that the 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 case. Yeah. So what's next for the vanished? I have uh a, an episode. Well, I'll tell you as a whole that what I'm trying to do for next year is and I've already been working on this is to I've hired some people to help me and so I'm not just doing this all by myself anymore because there's, you can only do, you can only keep improving uh, as one person 
as much, you know, a certain amount until you've kind of hit the limit of what one person can do in a week's time, right? So uh, I have some people helping me on the research end of things. And so my my goal is to be getting more people on on episodes and more experts and things. But also, um, like my next episode that I have coming out, I'm excited about it because it's a local case to me. And I've been working on it since August. And I have um, the missing woman's family. Uh, I have her, her brother and her niece. I have the retired detective who worked on this for much of his career. He, I mean, how often do you hear a detective say that they, they got to work on this one case, only this one case for 14 months straight? Yeah, never. Never, but yes, he was. He worked on this one case for 14 months and no other case, but continued to work on it after that. And it was the case that, that you know how a lot of times you'll hear a detective say, like, this was the one case I wanted to solve before I retired? Well, this is that case to him. And so he retired several years ago and relocated to another area of the country. And it took me months to track this guy down. But I found him. And I got him. And he's, he's like, really great. Uh, and then also I got the only person of interest in the case. And he talked, but... He didn't do himself any favors wow. when he talked. Wow. So amazing. Can't wait he, to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. He just kind of you know, it's his wife who's missing. So you would think that, that you would have something to say about your wife who's missing, and he's like, and I don't think I have anything to offer. So um he says, Oh, nothing nothing new has come up. So again, this is somebody who spoke to the police one time 19 years ago and lawyered up and has never spoken again. So, um, you know, to me and, but for being a local case, you know how, when you can like actually go out and look at the area and get a, a vision of what someplace looks like and how it helps you. I know you guys went out to the scene where Mara's car was found. Um, since this was local, I could go out to where this woman's car was found abandoned and kind of take in the area and all this stuff. So, uh, there's actually a picture from the turnpike here of her car going through the an exit and it looks like there's a body slumped over in the passenger side. So, wow, it's an interesting Incredible. one. Yeah, and we'll we'll be looking forward to that. That's that's amazing. Yeah, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do is is get like all of these people. Now the police won't always talk; it depends on the case. But um, I'm trying to get more because sometimes people say, "Oh, well, this episode was biased because you only talked to this one person." But sometimes there's nobody else who's willing to talk. So I don't ever say to people, "No, I won't cover your case because X, Y, Z." Uh, I always try to work with what I can get, but um, yeah, I'm trying to like dig a little bit deeper into each case while still keeping a weekly show.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.